I have this cup right here. How much do you, and it's halfway full with water, but how much do you think this cup weighs? Does anybody have a, a crack? Show of hands. Um, anybody want to take a guess? I'm going to call out Andrew. Andrew, how much do you think this cup weighs? Eight fluid ounces. Eight fluid ounces. On the dot, a little more, a little less. Oh, okay. 8.16. Oh, we got a guess back here. How much do you think this cup weighs? 14? I'll give one more guess. Anybody want to take a guess? No, I'll call you. Okay, you said five? All right. Well, I don't really know how much it weighs, but the truth is, the truth is, it doesn't matter how much it weighs. Because if I hold on to this cup for about five or six minutes, I can do that. All of y'all can do that for the most part, I think. Um, but then if I, hold, I ask you to hold on to it for an hour, that's going to be tough. Some of you might not be able to hold on to it for an hour. Um, but if I told you to hold on it for 24 hours, I think after about two or three hours, your arms would get really numb. You'd start to get paralyzed, uh, you know, not be able to feel your arm. Um, and eventually you would have to put the cup down. And I believe that that's how it comes to whenever we go through pains and struggles in our life. Um, you know, at first it might be something small. We can hold on to it, you know, maybe a day or two. But after a while, it can bog us down. Sometimes there's things that weigh a lot more. Uh, no matter where you are tonight, you know, through in pain or not, I believe there's three things that we can get from this psalm. And so if you're there, Psalm 142, um, Psalm of David, it reads, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I shewed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I, have, I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Let us pray real quick. Father, thank you for this opportunity. I certainly do not take it lightly. Um, I appreciate this church and what they mean to my life, Lord. But uh, for the next few moments, as we dive into this word, uh, it's not about me. It's not about the church. It's about the word and how you're going to speak through it, Lord. And I just pray that as I uh, faithfully give the word, that we will all, myself included, uh, get something out of this that we can apply to our hearts as we go out of here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. The title of my message tonight is Pour Out Your Cup. Pouring out your cup might sound easy sometimes, but as I mentioned, there are some struggles and stuff that we like to hold on to. Um, and like I said, I believe that there are three things that we saw. But before I, I dive into those three things, I want to ask us a question. Um, it's kind of the one sentence sermon. I, if you were here this morning, you call Pastor P Powell did it and he teaches us that in homiletics. But it is this. Is it possible that God is allowing certain troubles in our life to show and point us back to the where else to go. If you, if you read verses 3 and 4 and even verse 6, and I'll read it real quick. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. And the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me and no man cared for my soul. David is overwhelmed. 
He says it right there in verse three. It's like it's almost like if you're driving down the road and there's this fog all around you. Uh, you barely can see five foot in front of you. It becomes a little bit overwhelming. Uh, I remember when, it, when I was on the way to high school one time, I was going down near the Oberry Farm right over there, I think. And as I was going, it was really foggy and it was crazy. And the next thing I know, like there's this random cow. And then I go a little further and there's another cow. And all these cows had gotten out, and I was so overwhelmed by the fact that I was about to hit a cow, and all these farmers were about to come after me. But it was so foggy, and I know there's times in where we can think, you know, it's so overwhelming. Um, David, in this uh, psalm, as we see, is in a cave. And to kind of set up the context to understand where he's at when he makes this prayer to God, he's on the run from King Saul. Uh, David, we know, eventually becomes a king, but this is before he's a king, and we know that King Saul is after him, trying to kill him. And David has found himself alone in a dark cave. He's overwhelmed. It even says here that he had no refuge. Uh, His friends had abandoned him, and he had nowhere to go. And I believe sometimes we can relate to that. Uh, One writer wrote, imagine how this must have felt. Is it it is better to be opposed by foes than than to be forsaken by friends? Like I said, we can relate in that, to that in a sense and to the fact that, you know, when it comes to people we don't know, if they do us wrong, I mean, they really don't know me. I can just say like, oh, they don't they didn't know my intent, whatever. If it's like a close friend or somebody that we work with or maybe one of our family members, they can do something wrong. And it's like, OK, wait a minute now. Like, you know, that wasn't my intent. And that might be how David felt. He's in a cave and he's got his friends and Saul is after him. And he's like, y'all, you know that I have done nothing wrong. But yet you're opposing me right now. So David's alone. He has nowhere to turn. And he realizes that he's come to the end of himself and that nothing that he can do in this moment will get him away from Saul and the persecution. Uh, David points out in um, verse three that Saul has been laying out traps trying to kill him, trying to make him afraid. And David has ended up in a cave. But in this cave, David realizes that through all that, all the traps that uh, Saul has laid out, God has still guided and protected him and got him to safety in a dark and a long cave. So we see um, that David has come to the end of himself. And it reminds me of a story. Uh, this past summer, we were traveling down from Kentucky to Tennessee. And so we were, I don't even know what the road was, but we were traveling and we actually ended up going through Kingsport, Tennessee. Um, and so my family, whenever I say that, they're going to be like, oh, baseball, uh, which is a lot of my life. But as we're traveling off the highway, there's like these eight fields. And that's where in 2010, our baseball team went and we played in a World Series. Well, one of my fondest memories from that trip has nothing to do with baseball. Um, in fact, we were lucky. We played really good. We went 4-0 in our pool, which means we were the one seed, so we got a bye. So the next day after pool play, uh, we had a break. We had a day. We had nothing to do whatsoever. And so my baseball coach was like, you know, we're in the mountains of Tennessee, good old Rocky Top. We're going to take the boys uh, on a whitewater rafting trip. And so um, we go, we're out there, all the guys, myself, you know, 10-year-olds, we're really big and bad. We're like, we're going to get in a raft by ourselves, uh, and we're going to do this, you know, all by ourselves. And so they let us. They put us in a raft by ourselves, and for the first 30, 45 minutes, you know, they let us do that. But because we had done so good in pool play, uh, they let us, um, we had the tournament to play. And the coach was like, you know, maybe... We need to put the boys on like the family raft, you know, the one where you had the guide and like six or seven people are there. But that's where all the families were, all of our families. And so he was like, no, nope, y'all got to get off. The boys are getting on the main raft and we're putting uh, the families on the solo raft. Now, if 
you know my Aunt Tony, um, you know she can be a little bit dramatic. So she ends up on a single raft. And, <laughs> oh my goodness, as we're, as we're going down, I don't even know what the river was, we're just going, and next thing you know, about a quarter of a mile back, it's like, help, help. We all turn around. And Tony is like stuck on the smallest rock out there and she has nowhere to go. She's stuck. She's overwhelmed and she doesn't even realize how to get off. Eventually, the guide goes back, gets her off and she gets up there. And she's like, oh, that was crazy. You know, like I didn't think I was be able to do it. Truth be told, she couldn't have done it alone. David is in that exact same spot right now, not literally on a rock. He's inside of a rock in a cave, but he's alone. He's overwhelmed. And he realizes that by himself, he's not going to get out and be safe. So first we see that we will pour out our cup when we have nowhere else to go. But I believe, secondly, we can pour out our cup to the right person. And I see that in verses 2 and verse 5. Twice in this prayer, we see that David verbally requests the help of God and his refuge. And as I was studying, uh, one commentator talked about that this prayer, he was alone in the cave, so it was, he was praying out loud. And it's a type of prayer that was in such anguish and such desperation that he would certainly be able to recall and look back to this prayer in times when he was struggling. And within this prayer, I see three views that we can note and how maybe it, through this prayer we can maybe apply to our prayer life. And that's first is that David's prayer is personal. When it said that he poured out his complaint, This was not a prayer about other people. David was praying personally to God, which leads to my second point, which is that David's prayer was not, it was personal, but it was also private. Uh, He had already turned to seek the help of others. His friends, nowhere to be seen, were not supporting him. And his prayer was between him and God. Now, sometimes we can, you may go to work and we get there and we find out that such and such has been running their mouth about us, you know, or whatever. Maybe we go to a kid, their teacher, and this kid's, you know, not really behaving well. Um, it can be so easy to just go to a coworker and be like, oh, my word, did you hear what they said about me? That is clearly not true. But we see David here, nowhere else to go, goes to God. And that should be the same thing, the same should be true about us. Whenever we even have somewhere to go, we shouldn't just go to anybody. We should go to the right person, which is God. So David's prayer was personal. It was private, but it was also present. Uh, he, has, he has said that he has seen God work before, but I love verse 5, and I'm going to read it. I cried unto the Lord, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge. It doesn't say that thou was. It doesn't say that thou is going to be. It says that he is. See, God is not a God of the past or the future, but the present. Now, God is eternal, but that also means that he is present and living now. David's prayer was present. Uh, so first, we saw that David's prayer, or that we will pour out our cup when we have nowhere else to go. And we can pour out our cup to the right person. But lastly, we can pour out our cup with the expectation for God to move. And I see that in verse 7, where it says that, Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. And right here is key word, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. See, the word bountifully is not just a slight deliverance. David's not expecting God to just, you know, get him out of the cave. Uh, David has a faith that God is going to bountifully deal with him and certainly and fully deliver him from this evil. I believe, I believe that David is aware of the fact that the deliverance he is expecting can only come from God. And he says that he will praise thy name. It makes me think of a prisoner. 
uh, who's been maybe put away, put in jail. But when one man comes and sets him free, the first thing he's going to do is sing praises to that man because he has set him free. And David is saying the same thing here. He knows that God is the only one who can set him free. And he knows that God will. And when he does, he plans to praise his God out loud and publicly. Now, I want to make this personal, uh, not individually, but as a church. Um, We can be real and we can say that, you know, maybe some things are changing around here. And, you know, for whatever reason, it's not good or bad. But is it possible that through this change, God's not focused on the people of like maybe the staff or what's happening around us, even around the school. But maybe it's to draw us closer to him. I mean, I'm not going to play God here. That's very that's absolutely heretical. But um, is it possible? And, you know, we all love our pastor. It's not about him. We all love our staff. It's not about them. It's not about the teachers. It's about God. And I think that through this time, you know, let me take a step back. This is a Sunday night crowd, right? Like you're here on Sunday night. Obviously, you're, you know, the cream of the crop. And you are. You are. But is it possible that God is using this time right now to draw us closer to him? You know, we can, the best days of the church does not have to be behind us, but it can be in front of us. Um, let's not let this time split us from each other. But let's allow it to allow, allow us to rely fully on God. And then with that said, we have to expect that God's going to provide. We have to have the faith of David and realize that through this time, sure, things are changing. It might not be what we expect. But we have to trust and know that God is going to provide for our church and even for ourselves. God has promised us that he will provide us, provide for us even when we don't understand. And David in this cave, alone, afraid, has no clue why he's there, done nothing wrong. But he knows that God's going to provide. Once every four years, uh, there's this thing called the Olympics. Uh, We've all heard of it. Uh, I say the Olympics and some names might come to mind. Michael Phelps, uh, Simone Biles. You know, there's many names that come to mind. But one name that when I say this phrase, the fastest man in the world, uh, we all think of Usain Bolt, right? Uh, But if I say the name Trayvon Bromel, does that ring a bell? Now, if you keep up with the Olympics, then like I do, then yes, it would. But for the most part, no. Uh, Trayvon grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, he was um, in the what you would call downtown district area. So he knows what gang violence was. Uh, in an interview, he said, you're either going to be a part of a gang or work at Pizza Hut. Uh, and there was really no way out what he said in this area. But for him, uh, he found that going to the track and just running around was his way of finding a peace and a quiet in the midst of all that violence. Um, Trayvon lived a tough life. Um, He went through injuries. He always wanted to run, but broke his hip when he was younger, broke his knees. And he was not able to get on the track until his senior year of high school when he ran a 9.99 100-meter sprint. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with world records and stuff, but uh, Usain Bolt runs a 9.57, and that's the world record. And as a senior in high school, he ran a 9.99. So you can imagine this is about 20... Well, I don't know when this was, but he was running. And in 2015, he won the world championships for the 100-meter sprint. Uh, Usain Bolt, currently the winner at the Olympics for many years in a row. And Trayvon Bromel was noted as the guy who was going to dethrone Usain Bolt from the 100-meter, you know, 
King area whenever he got to Rio in 2016. But before he could get there, his Achilles started to cause a little bit of problems. And so he had to go through some rehab, you know, this and that. But most people in this injury would not get back to the level of an Olympic athlete. But Trayvon managed to do that. And so he ran through some pain. You know, he was running and he ended up in Rio, made it through qualifying and finished eighth in the 100 meter sprint. Um, but during all that running, he ended up lunging for the finish line and messed up his heel even more. So now an athlete that should have never been back in the first place is now really injured, needs surgery and um, needs rehab or yeah, rehab on his heel. And there's no way that they would expect him to get back to an Olympic state. He ended up going through rehab and recovered and ended up qualifying for uh, Tokyo this past year. He didn't end up winning or qualifying. He says that his pride got in the way of him, but because he, he had an undefeated season leading up to Tokyo. But in one of the races before he ended up going to Tokyo, it was like a qualifying round. The, the um, interviewers, they were like, Trayvon, tell us your story. And I found it so interesting. This was his response. He said, the story of my life is God is powerful and Christ is powerful. Uh, Trayvon, he recognized that he was in this position because of God alone, who was his strength when he was weak. And if you if you ever just look up any of the races and there's an interview, there was one race that he ran on the back of his little name tag. It turned around and said, God is real. And his whole thing is that, you know, I was alone in this area where nobody thought I would make it. And I'm not here because of me. I worked hard. But my story is living proof of the fact that God is a strength and a provider whenever you feel like there's nowhere to go. My challenge to us tonight, and I'm almost done, like literally two minutes, is to remind us that we are not exempt from struggles. Um, Trayvon Bromel, you would expect, you know, grew up in violence, ended up having surgeries. His whole life was struggles. And we've all heard the saying, you're either in a storm, (laughs) coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go into a storm. And my challenge tonight is two things, and then I'm going to pray and we'll be done. Is that first, maybe this storm um, is something that's going to bring us closer to God. One statement that I forgot to make, but I think it worked out well, is that it says that if coming to the end of ourselves through trials leads us to seek the face of God, then Lord help us come to the end of ourselves. And that's so scary to say. Uh, there's times we've all been there where there's a message where it's like, you know, maybe you need to be broken and that's how God can you, that's how God can speak to you. And they're like, you know, maybe that's what you need to pray, that just God will break you. And I know I'll sit there sometimes and I'm like, man, that's, that's a bold prayer. And I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. But then the altar, talk, altar call comes and then I don't go up there because I'm it's so hard to say, Lord, break me. Bring me to the end of myself so that I can fully rely on you. So first we saw that. But secondly and lastly is that when we get in the storm and maybe we're already broken, I just prayed that we would turn to God first and turn to God only. Um, it's so easy to get caught up and I need to tell this person, I need to tell that person, I need to do this, I need to do that. But God is our refuge and God is our provider and God is our strength. And God wants us to fully rely on him. So I just want to remind you tonight, if you're in a spot, maybe you're in the, sea, in the storm now. Maybe you're getting ready to go into a storm, or maybe you just come out of one. Remember that you can pour your cup out to God.